Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison. We continue to flood the world with God's truth. We're looking today as we continue to study the great life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're getting close to the end of his life before we then move into the book of Acts, focusing on Paul and the early uh, apostles and their ministry throughout the known world at that time. And of the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He sits enthroned at the right hand of our Heavenly Father in splendor and glory. Let's look today at what he we can learn from him as we look at the beginning of his trial and his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Last Supper. Uh, also of note here today will be the Apostle Judas. Uh, again, we often urge great caution in trying to look at these things as a, from a historical perspective, considering the fact that we're 2,000 years after these events, and considering the fact that the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written from 40 to 60 years after the time of Jesus. They're doing their best to record these things. They've had some ideas come in their head that might have now they might have to deal with 60 years later, which, uh, you know, then start to be a little bit, uh, you know, on shaky ground here. Judas himself, what do we know about him and what did Jesus say? Jesus first said in Matthew 19, you'll recall in the uh, Around the 25th, 26th uh, verses, uh, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, what are you going to give for us for having forsaken all things for you? We gave up our fishing businesses. We gave up our lives. We spent all this time away from our families. What are you going to give us as reward for our sacrifice for you? And Jesus said to them, the 12 apostles, that when he comes back and the regeneration of the world, that they, the 12 apostles, that would include Judas, the 12 apostles would sit on their own throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if Judas is a son of perdition, as some have tried to proclaim him to be such, then you have a hard time explaining Matthew 19, 25, and 26 for Jesus did Jesus not know the reality? Did Jesus not know about Judas? How come it doesn't say 11 of you, except for Judas, will be sitting on the 12 tribes, 12 will be sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel? How can Judas judge people whether they're going to make it back to our Heavenly Father's presence in the celestial kingdom if he's a son of perdition and going to be cast out into darkness? with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this was prior to the events uh, of the um, crucifixion. So what do we know after the crucifixion? Well, there we have the great opportunity to turn to modern-day revelation through the prophet Joseph Smith, Jr., and the doctrine and covenants in which he received the revelation. Now, this is now... 1,800 years later, so Jesus had first said in Matthew 19 that Judas, along with the 12 apostles, would be, sit on their thrones of glory, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Let's see if that changed following the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. 1,830 years, you know, 1,800 years later, Doctrine and Covenants 29, 12, in which Jesus Christ makes this very clear and very explicit. And again, verily, verily, I say unto you, and it hath gone forth, and a firm decree by the will of the Father. So not only is it Jesus Christ's will, his will is always to do the will of the Father, but this, this concept, this doctrine is the will of the Father, the Heavenly Father, that mine apostles, the twelve, who were with, which were with me in my ministry at Jerusalem. There were only 12. Matthias is called later after Jesus is risen from the dead. He was not one of the 12 apostles with Jesus in his ministry at Jerusalem. Judas, however, was one of the 12 apostles with Jesus in his ministry at Jerusalem. A firm decree by the will of the Father, the Heavenly Father, that mine apostles, the twelve, including Judas, which were with me in my ministry at Jerusalem, shall stand at my right hand at the day of my coming in a pillar of fire. Once again, Joseph Smith got that right. We now learn so many more things about these chariots, these clouds of heaven, and these pillars, right? He said he saw in the morning in 1820, the spring morning, a pillar of light. Here he's talking about the pillar of fire. This is the rectangular object that's described as a column or pillar. He says, they will be in the day of my coming in a pillar of fire being clothed with robes of righteousness. Judas is going to be clothed with robes of righteousness, with a crown upon their heads, in glory even as I am, to judge the whole house of Israel, even as many as have loved me and kept my commandments, and none else. Look at all that great language here. It's gone fairly, verily, get two verilies here. Verily, verily, I say unto you, and it hath gone forth in a firm decree by the will of my of the Father that mine apostles, the twelve which were with me in my ministry at Jerusalem, shall judge the twelve tribes of Israel. They shall come forth in the pillar of fire here being described, and with robes of righteousness and crowns upon their heads. Certainly, we at this point in time we should say. Hmm, clearly the few pages in the New Testament that you can read in just a few minutes does not adequately describe the last week of the Savior and what truly may or may not have happened with this Judas, one of the 12 apostles. So we should always be very cautious and and developing hate. A lot of Christians actually hate Jews. For, for the last couple of thousand years in a lot of European countries, it was against their, their laws to be able to name your kid to Judas. Since then, in the last 20 years, we discovered the gospel of Judas, in which Judas now 
seems to be the hero. He's the only one that out of the 12 who understands what Jesus has been saying about his forthcoming uh, atonement and resurrection and, you know, crucifixion, and that he's just carrying out Jesus' will. You know, he's the great hero now in this new gospel of Judas that we've discovered after 2,000 years. Clearly, again, there's a lot more we just don't know to the story. But what we know of Judas, those who proclaimed him to be a son of perdition don't do not know what they are talking about. That's why we got to turn to the scriptures. The scriptures say very clearly in Doctrine and Covenants 29, 12, and in Matthew 19, 25, and 26, that Judas, along with the other 11 apostles, the 12 of them who were with Jesus in his ministry at Jerusalem, shall judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Judas is not a son of perdition. Judas is returning to live with our Heavenly Father in celestial splendor and glory. And so we need to be careful that we don't uh, uh, victimize him, vilify him uh, in, 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 in a horrible way. He is not a son of perdition. Okay, so now we'll be looking here. And uh, we'll look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. Again, we got Matthew and Mark. They're going to be telling the same stories, you know, from their own personal perspectives. We tend to stay with Matthew as the tradition being that Matthew wrote Matthew. Some scholars listening to this, you know, you know what I'm talking about here. But um, nevertheless, Matthew, an apostle, but it's also the most Jewish of the Gospels. And, and for that, since we're coming out of the Old Testament last year, that's also why we tend to stay with the uh, Matthew here, where the stories are repeating themselves. Okay, so Matthew chapter 26, and we'll first look at 1 through 9. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So once again here, Jesus for, uh, is showing once again his divine omniscience, his all-knowing, and his ability to foresee the future. He knows exactly that appointed hour is coming when he will be crucified. And once again, we will see through the New Testament here that the word being betrayed is really strong and it's really incorrect. It's from the paradidomai in Greek, being handed over or being delivered. So he should be handed over, not betrayed. King James did that here, but that's not correct. Okay, then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. Now we know from the other Gospels, uh, in Mark, for example, that, that they first go to Caiaphas's father-in-law, Ananias, who had been the high priest. So they first go to him for some kind of pre-trial while they get together and gather at Caiaphas's house and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtility and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there should be an uproar among the people. And we saw this in a prior week with Zacchaeus and the tree 
trying to see Jesus because Jesus was short of statue. You'll notice throughout the Gospels here, the people are not scared of Jesus. They're scared because he's, you know, just a little short guy, right? They're scared of the people. It always says this, makes it very clear. They're not scared of Jesus. They they, they have no fear of Jesus, uh, you know, in terms of his physical uh, uh, look, physical nature. What they're scared is the people, right? Okay, so then... Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, they came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Now, uh, we see that uh, they tried to vilify and I apologize here. Um, they tried to vilify uh, uh, Judas and one and in uh, Mark, right? And they try to say, well, you know, he was uh, he was a robber and he was he was upset because he wanted to steal uh, the money, right? He wanted to steal the money uh, from the from the from this. So he would have preferred that she had sold this, given to them, so he could steal the money. So these later authors and you know, trying to vilify Judas and so forth. We just don't know that's the case. I apologize. I have to take off my coat. I feel really hot here in the uh, in the room. I apologize. I haven't done that before in our prior uh, videos here. I might not be feeling so well here tonight. To, as well. I've been kind of battling the, some, some illness here. Okay, so let's continue on. Hopefully I'm not sweating too much on the camera. This is live, folks. We do this live. We don't edit our videos. We speak by the power of the Holy Ghost in these videos. Okay, so then he goes on here and he says, For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor with you always, but me you have not always. So it's usually a good thing to to give to the poor, right, and help the poor. But when Jesus is around, he is the priority over any other thing. Any other good work you think you may be doing is not a good work when Jesus is around. Giving honor and glory to God is the most important Christian work you can do. Now watch this. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Interesting, right? How many times does Jesus keep trying to prepare his apostles, keep saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. They are going to kill me, but don't worry, I'm going to resurrect from the dead. And the apostles can't understand the concept. <laughs> you know, they, 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 He keeps explaining it over and over again, and they don't get it. But who gets it? The woman, right? We see this here, right? She's already anointing Jesus in preparation for his burial. She understands he's going to be killed, and she's preparing his body for the burial. Later, we're going to see this, the woman once again, who are the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. They're also the ones who don't leave the cross, right? They all leave the cross except for John uh, in, uh, you know, in the book of John. But, uh, you know, other than that, 11 apostles are gone. They're, they fled from the scene. But the women are there 
and the women are going to the tomb to to pre further prepare and anoint his body when he then is able to uh, appear to them. It's the woman in the scriptures that get it and understand Jesus and not the man. So here, once again, his apostles are struggling with this concept. Even they don't get it. She's even doing it right in front of the, their, their eyesight. She's, she's pouring this oil and preparing his body for burial, and they can't comprehend it. He says, because she did that, in 13, verily I say unto you, whether, um, whethersoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this. That, well, that this woman had done be told for memorial of her. We have it here in Matthew 26, printed in millions of Bibles throughout all the earth as a memorial to her for what she did to Jesus. Okay, now, barely, uh, let's see, verse 14. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. Now notice, they got it right in that translation. Deliver, right? Not betray. <laughs> We're going to say betray at multiple other places here in the four Gospels. Not betray. Potadinomai. This is to hand over, deliver. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave from the Old Testament. And for that time, he sought opportunity it's the same word again, part of Didomai, to deliver him, not to betray him. 17 here, let's go with. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man. And he named him. And say unto him, The master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. So once again, we get this. We get this. We get, get these guys and pop it out, right? Uh, uh, earlier, he had done a similar thing where he told his apostles to go in and get the, uh, you know, the, the, the donkey, uh, that Christ wants to to ride on, right? This this uh, you've got these people that are these disciples of Jesus that are not known to the twelve, and yet they're rich and uh, possess great you know possessions and things. These most likely are the angels. We've seen before the Bible talks about that to be careful when dealing with strangers, for many have, have entertained angels without being aware of them, right? This concept here we get throughout all the Bible that there seems to be angels living among us. They, they tend to live among us in, in uh, you know, houses, and, and you don't, just don't know that they're, uh, that they're angels, right? Uh, perhaps these are the telestial kingdom-level angels. Uh, we know that this earth oftentimes is considered a telestial, um, uh, telestial order, uh, and so maybe that those who were assigned to the telestial kingdom uh, may be among us uh, doing these things. So he, this had to be a some sort of person that Christ could uh, fully trust, right? He, he, you know, he's got, you know, he wants to eat this Passover without being killed. They're all looking to to kill him right now, right? 
And so it needs to be a disciple who's not going to share with anybody that Jesus is coming. The normal human being would be so excited, right? If the apostles showed up at their house and asked if, they, if Jesus could celebrate Passover at your house, you're going to go start telling the neighbors, your friends, your family. This is not going to be a secret any longer, right? This is somebody that has a, a nice place to eat a Passover meal and that can be fully trusted and has earned that confidence and trust of the Lord over a long period of time and yet is, is not known by the 12 apostles. Okay, so then, okay, to verse 20. Now, when evening was come, he sat down with the 12, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you should, Potadidomai shall deliver me, not betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall not betray, potadidomai, shall deliver me. So it's like he's giving a commandment here to who should deliver him. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And poor Judas has been hated on and, and cursed for 2,000 years. You know, uh, you know, poor Judas, right? So, yeah, it had been better if he had not been, been born. But, uh, you know, he, he su he's suffered you know, a, lot of, a lot of things from a lot of people over the last 2,000 years. Then Judas was but not betrayed. This is part of it of mine. Then G Judas, which delivered him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Now we see also from the other Gospels, they each start asking, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Right? Even Judas, because Judas doesn't know that yet at this point in time. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to the disciples and said, Take eat. This is my body. Now, Thank heavens for the restoration of the gospel and for modern-day prophet Joseph Smith. We get the JSD translations. And break it and blessed it and gave to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is in remembrance of my body, which I give a ransom for you. So the whole point of this bread and the Eucharist and the, and the sacrament is in remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ. It's not the body. Christians are not cannibals. We don't cannibalize and, and eat Jesus Christ's body. And yet in the Catholic Church, they believe that. And in fact, one of the great the, the American bishops keeps trying to, the, keeps voicing his concern and uh, is uh, being upset the fact that uh, something like only one out of three Catholics here in the United States now believe that they're actually eating the body of Jesus Christ during their uh, Eucharist uh, or communion or sacrament uh, service, right? I mean, that's just uh, for the common sense folks, seems, seems kind of silly and ridiculous. But nevertheless, the Catholics... Uh, uh, believe that as the priest sits there and, and initiates the 
the communion or the sacrament. I don't remember exactly what word they use, but the most common names for for this sacrament, communion, uh, Eucharist, uh, they sort of uh, the words uh, when when the priest performs that, they believe that he is killing, that he is killing Jesus Christ, and they kill Jesus Christ every time they partake of this communion service. And therefore, the priest kills Jesus Christ. Then they actually eat as cannibals, that they eat his body and actually drink his blood when they drink and partake of the wine. One would say by common sense they should know that this is in remembrance of the body or the blood of Jesus Christ, that they're not actually killing and being murderers of the Son of God and killing Jesus Christ week after week after week. Jesus died once for all. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks about this idea. The book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is superior to the priests in ancient Israel. Because they had to perform a sacrifice to first cleanse themselves before then they could offer the sacrifice on behalf of, of Israel. And they had to do this every time for a sacrifice. But Jesus only had to give his life one time, you know, a, a ransom for many. Jesus only died once. He is not being killed week after week, day after day in communion uh, services across this uh, world. It's important we understand this concept that the bread and the wine or water are, are symbolic representations of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So then he took the cup in 27 and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But again, symbolic of the blood, not actually the blood. The wine or the water does not turn into the actual blood of Jesus Christ. And if it really did turn into the actual blood of Jesus Christ, how much blood does he have? How can he continue to shed that much blood for everybody around the world to drink it every single day? I mean, common, common sense, people. Is, you know, we got to just... Pay attention to the scripture sometimes. Some of the things in here are meant to be taken as symbolic of eternal truth. Then he says here in 29, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, this would be Psalm 123, part of the Passover meal, they would sing uh, one uh, uh, Psalms 118, 119, 120, 21, 22, and 23. After they were done singing a, a hymn, this would have been the final part of that 118 through 123. So Psalm 123, they went out into the Mount Olives, then said Jesus unto them, and ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the sheep, the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Yeah. Because of that, you know, he, he knew the scriptures and he always would prophesy the scriptures. He said, it's written in the scriptures, this will happen. 
But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Peter, that even this very night, before the cock crow, you will deny me three times. Peter said unto him, Though I die with you, Lord, yet will I not deny you. Likewise also said all the disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, all of press. And say then to the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, his cousins, John and James, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face, knowing the crucifixion was coming, knowing that they were going to spit in his face, got to beat him, uh, and, uh, you know, nail him to a cross. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So even here we see the human of Jesus Christ. Knowing what was about to befall him, he's scared, terrified here. He's praying to God, if it be possible, let's bring it about another way. Now, why is he doing this, right? Well, as he's beginning to work out the infinite atonement for mankind, do you think he's doing this unopposed? Satan, Satan himself, the enemy of God, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. He was there in the garden that night. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was telling Jesus, pray, Jesus, to your father. Maybe there's another way. Maybe you don't need to go through it this way. Maybe you don't need to be to suffer like this. After all, God loves you. You're, you're his son. Certainly he would not want you to suffer horribly in the most horrible manner possible. Maybe you could pray, you know, to let this cup pass from you, right? So he's being tempted here by Satan to, 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 to forsake this, right? The last thing Satan wants to do is to have him go through the atonement uh, for mankind, right? And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep. And say then to Peter, what? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Because he just learned this, right? Even he is having to pray to enter not into this temptation to forsake this atonement, right? The spirit indeed is willing. So he's acknowledging his spirit is willing to keep the commands, willing to die for the sins of mankind. But the flesh is weak. He's experiencing that right now, Jesus. He knows his flesh is weak. His flesh wants to forsake and run away from this coming uh, trial and tribulation. But the spirit was indeed willing to follow the will of the Father. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now again, Potadidomai, the Son of Man, is delivered into the hands of sinners, not betrayed. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth not betray. He's at hand that will deliver me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude of swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that, potadidomai, he that delivered him, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend. Still calling him friend, right? Friend. Not saying enemy. Enemy, why are you doing this to me? You know, uh, friend, right? Wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. We know this is Peter. And struck his servant of the high priest uh, and smote off his ear. And then we know from uh, the other gospels that Jesus thing picked up his ear and put it back on and healed it. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. He's not saying that, Peter, they're going to kill you if you fight them. He's, just, he's, he's saying here, he's, going, he's, he's reaffirming and confirming the, test, the Old Testament law that if Peter were to shed innocent blood, he should have his blood shed. That's what he, Jesus is saying here. Don't you think, Peter, that I could now now pray to my father and he would give me more than 12 angel, legions of angels? Each legion is 6,000. So 12 times 6,000, 72,000. Right now, presently, right this moment, I could have 72,000 angels show up right here to fight these battles for me against these uh, temple um, uh, police uh, um, uh, officers, right? Uh, we saw in, in the Bible how powerful angels are. One angel himself went through and slew overnight. Remember in the Old Testament? 185,000 Assyrians overnight, right? One angel, and, and an army of 185,000. Imagine what 72,000 of these angels could do. He says, but if I did that, if I prayed to my father and had him send these legions of angels, how would the scripture be fulfilled? That it must needs be that I suffer and die for the sins of the world. That would not have happened after you prayed to his father. And that's, of course, what Satan wants him to do. Just pray to your father to get this to stop, call the angels, do whatever you need to do to get out of this, Jesus. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not lay hold on me there. Remember, they were scared of the people. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They were fled, they ran, they got out of it. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the, sacrifice, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council 
sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and he said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days, right? Which he's talking about his the body, his body being the temple of God. Destroy his body he would raise from the dead on the third day. We also see from the other gospels that they that even their witness, even their witness on this could not match and, and agree with, with, with each other. And so the high priest arose and said unto him, Are you answer nothing? What is this which these witnesses have against you? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I assure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. So according to their legal um, uh, to their to their legal um, te, uh, you know their legal proceedings, if if the high priest would say that I adjure you by the living God that you tell me, then the person is obligated to answer the question. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming. Once again, another reference to this. In the clouds of heaven. For those of you who have been watching this along the last year and a half, you know exactly all about this, right? Clouds of heaven, once again. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have witnesses? Behold, now you have his, heard his blasphemy. Now, according to biblical law, a high priest is not supposed to tear his garments, right? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy unto, you, unto us, thou Christ, who it is that just smote you. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath even, I did not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. They could hear as he was talking to the people there in the courtyard that he sounded like he had a Galilean accent. So they knew he was from Galilee. And there's this Jesus from Galilee, right? <clears throat> then, then began he to even curse and to swear. I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Poor Peter, right? But Jesus will, once again, help him overcome this in John 21, where he's going to ask him three times, one for each of the times he felt here, whether he would feed his sheep or feed his lambs. We'll see that in the coming weeks.
Okay, now we'll move on to John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, so once again, showing his divine omniscience, knowing all things, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. That's significant, right? Because we've seen all the way, we're now, what, on page, in the, if you have the uh, LDS version of King James, we're on page 1,351. It's going to vary depending on what Bible you have with you. But nevertheless, we've read now a massive amount of Scripture from the Old Testament up through the New Testament here. And over and over again, we see that the love of God is conditional. It's conditional on whether you keep the commandments or not. Now, maybe there's some sort of creator-type uh, love that maybe he loves all his creations, but... The real divine love, the satisfying love, the one that we all want and seek for in our life to have that kind of love from God, that is clearly conditional. It has been preached dozens upon dozens of times up until uh, this lesson. So what they're trying to say here is that he loved his own even until the end of his ministry where they made mistakes and so forth. Their hearts were still with Jesus. They were doing their best to keep his commandments. Therefore, he still loved them, even at the end of his ministry with this conditional love of God. Okay, so then, now we get this later person here. Now we're 100 AD, uh, 60, uh, um, 70 years now after the uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We clearly get some edit, later editor coming in here and writing verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put it into the heart of Jews, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. <laughs> I think not. Verse 2 is a later addition to what was the original verse, uh, the original gospel of John. You can see that just by reading verse 1 and then reading verse 3. When you're working with the gospels and you can look at it that way, then you know that what you've got here is a later addition. So verse 1 here at the end of verse 1, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. That's how it read in the original. A later editor or somebody comes along and now adds this verse 2 in here, but it's not doctrinally correct. You'll often see that with additions to the scriptures as well, as they don't tend to be doctrinally correct. So in super being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Jesus, scary Simon's son to betray him. And again, the word is paradidomai, <laughs> to deliver, right? Not to betray. But the devil did not, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the devil did not put it in any of their hearts to betray Jesus Christ. The last thing Jesus, the last thing the devil wants to happen is for Jesus to work out the atonement for the sins of the world, right? He's done his best. He was he spent the last four thousand years doing his best to destroy humankind, destroy the world with sin. The last thing he's going to do is is tell one of his apostles to help bring it bring to pass God's immortality and eternal life through this uh, crucifixion. 
um, an atonement process, right? That's just not correct. They, this is the, some later editor trying to blame Judas that Jesus died because of Judas, but Jesus was supposed to die. It doesn't matter, you know, what Judas may or may not have done here. Verse 4, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. So he's initiating the sacred ordinance of the washing of feet. And to wipe them with the towel with he was girded. So this is symbolically representing that he is washing them clean from the sins of the world from being guilty, associated because of their human nature, uh, of being associated with the sins of the world. Verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you don't know now, but you shall understand that later on when I explain more detail the temple ordinances. And so then, Verse 8, Peter says unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. This is a sacred holy ordinance that all mankind need to receive prior to their returning to live with our Heavenly Father. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my feet. I want to live with you, so do my hands and my feet also. Then Jesus said to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Period. That's where the original would have ended. And ye are clean, but not all. Again, right? <laughs> later, editor coming in, and ye are clean, but not all, trying to go back and just vilify uh, uh, Judas here, right? Jesus is not going to perform the sacred ordinance of the washing of feet and helping to assure Judas's salvation. If he knows Judas is going to go out and betray him and thereby commit uh, murder or commit some horrible sin, <laughs> he's, yeah, let's wake up here, right, the people, right? He's, he's not going to, Jesus is not going to perform the ordinance of the washing of feet on Judas if Judas is going to go out and betray him. Okay, so now we continue on here. And in uh, verse 11, then you can see also the way it reads. There's <clears throat> a later editor once again. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said he, you are not all clean. <coughs> so again, they're trying to this vilify uh, Judas, not part of the original gospel of John. Sorry about my uh, my throat again. Uh, okay, so now we go on to verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Do you understand what I've done to you? I've just done a very sacred temple-related ordinance to you. Do you understand it? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, wash your feet, you need to initiate this as an ordinance within the church 
and wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither him that he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, the keeping of the commandments and the ordinances of the temple, you are happy if you do them. That's God's promise as you uh, go through the ordinances of the temple and keep your covenants that you will be happy. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his hill against me. So here they've seen the scripture. They're trying to place this in the life of Jesus. 18 is probably not part of the original. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am indeed he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. You receive a missionary, you receive Jesus Christ. You receive a, a you know, an apostle or prophet of God, you receive Jesus Christ. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. If you receive Jesus Christ, you don't think that maybe he's not the son of God or maybe didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the way the, the scriptures betray him. Then you don't receive our heavenly father. Okay, so then he says here in 21, when Jesus had, had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall, Potadidomai, not betray, one of you shall deliver me. Then the disciples looked one another, doubting to whom he spake. They don't know because <laughs> Jesus hasn't commanded any of them to do it yet. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it was that he spoke of. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Now that was the Passover tradition, that they could dip it and give the best part to their most honored guest. Here in this Passover supper, he has made Judas his most honored guest. Not something you normally do for those who are about to betray you and turn you over to be killed, unless that was your will for that to happen. And that's what you were trying to get him to help bring about. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, now once again, right? You can tell just by reading this stuff. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. <laughs> that was some sop, huh? You give some sop to somebody, it causes Satan to enter into that person, right? Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. So he tells him, go ahead and, and do this thing. Go turn me over. Go deliver me to the chief priests and the, and the, um, and the Jewish uh, leaders. Again, not something you... Tell somebody if this is going to be a sin, uh, some sort of form of uh, a murder, some sort of 
betrayal of the Son of God that will make you go out to outer darkness, right? If, if this were going to be a sin, uh, and again, we're all assuming this is really what <laughs> historically put move between the theological hat and our historian's hat, and we're assuming, you know, we're, we're taking this today as just granted here. We're looking at this as a theological um, perspective, not the historical perspective. So whether this event really happened or not, that would be for a different setting, a different a different time, different lesson. Uh, but we're going with that, that these things happen and trying to understand them from the theological perspective. So, uh, you, you know, first of all, what's so, you know, the sop going to make Satan enter into you? You know, that's not true. Two, if Satan entered into Judas, what would Satan do? Would he go tell him to go deliver Jesus to the chief priest so we can crucify Jesus and bring about the immortality and eternal life of man and bring about the uh, forgiveness of sins? The very last thing, if if Satan would have entered into Judas, he would have told Judas, oh, let's, just, let's just be like Jonah. Let's go hop on a ship and, and flee off to Tarshish or something. Let's get as far away from here as possible, uh, Judas. He's not going to possess Judas and try to bring about God's plans and purposes that have been in place since the beginning of the foundation of the world, right? So this verse scripture, probably not in the original, right? It makes no sense theologically. And Jesus, if this was a sin that Judas is about to commit, would not go say, hurry and go sin. That that thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> he would tell him, no, don't do this, Judas. I'm warning you, this is a sin. You know, this is a sin. You can't do this, right? Yeah, thou shalt not murder, Judas. Remember one of the Ten Commandments that said that the, God spoke to Moses and said, thou shalt not kill. Remember that commandment here, Judas, right? If if, if this were a sin, Jesus would be telling Judas not to go commit it. And he certainly wouldn't tell Judas, go do it quickly. Go, go, go commit adultery quickly. Go kill quickly. Go do this sin or that sin. Go do it quickly. God would never say that. Jesus would never say that. Okay, 28. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had simply said to him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor, right? He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. So, so he gave the sop to Judas. I want you, Judas, to go deliver me. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is, yeah, well, here we go, further strong evidence, right? Therefore, when he was gone out, supposedly to betray Jesus Christ, right? He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him, right? This act of Judas going to Potadidomai to deliver Jesus and not betray Jesus, but deliver him to the chief priest is to glorify Jesus and God. This is an act of, of, of great Christian commitment, great uh, 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 Christian living and, and following the commandments of Jesus that Judas went out to do an act, and again, we're taking this to be historical. 
there's some serious historical issues involved here. But we're taking this to be historical for the point of this lesson, looking at it with our theological hat on, not our historian's hat on, but from the theological perspective, right? What Judas has just been told by Jesus to do is going to glorify Jesus and glorify God, right? Therefore, it would be a good thing for Judas to go glorify God and Jesus Christ. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while, I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, remember in Gospel of John, the Jews are the Jewish religious leaders. They're all Jews, right? But these are the Jewish religious leaders you're referring to. As I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come yet. A new commandment I give unto you. To who? Who is he talking to? The 12 apostles, right? <laughs> now, we often do try to apply this to outside of the 12 and that maybe we should all love each other and, and so forth. Jesus didn't say that. Whether that's a good thing or not, that's not here in the Bible, right? Jesus here specifically talking here to the 12 apostles. He's telling them they need to love each other. And uh, as I have loved you, that you also love one another, the 12 apostles. By this shall all men know that you 12 are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So Jesus wants to see the 12 apostles of his, whether they were in his day or whether they were 2,000 years later, where the body of the 12 apostles are, he wants to see them getting along and loving one another, right? And in fact, part of the oath that supposedly they take in today's church, we get this from Hubie Brown, is that they take this... the. Uh, they have to make a covenant in which whatever the general whatever the 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 general consensus is among the 12 they are to also support that opinion and support it as though they themselves were the one who who basically uh, came up with the idea right to show this great love among the 12 and great unification among the 12 that's the part of their covenant and their charge as a new apostle uh, to do that. So by this shall all men know you 12 are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now, Jesus did say that the second great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus did in other contexts give the commandment to love our neighbor, right? Here, he's specifically talking to the 12 and saying he wants harmony and unity and love among the 12 apostles, and that's the way it's always been and always will. In a thousand years from now, the 12 apostles at that time, he would want them to love one another and be in great harmony one with another. 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, where are you going? He <laughs> said, they don't get it. The woman knew, right? Mary knew. <laughs> Mary knew and anointed his body for burial. Here's the 12 apostles. They still don't have a clue. What's going on? <laughs> Where are you going, Jesus? Jesus answered him, whether I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? 
I will even lay down my life for your sake. And he says once again, Peter, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're talking about. In fact, verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me three times. You will not hear the cock crow until you've denied me three times. What a powerful lesson once again as we continue to move towards the end of the life and the ministry and the teachings of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we make a determination that in our own lives, we will never fall into weakness like Peter did here and deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times before the cock crows. Matthew 10, 32 and 33 lay out a great promise and warning to all disciples of Jesus Christ that if a man shall confess Jesus before man of him or her Jesus will confess before our Father in heaven but of those who deny Jesus before man of that person Jesus will deny before his Father in heaven may we never fall into this may we never fall victim to denying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In closing, we once again invite those of you who are not yet members of his church and kingdom upon the earth to come. Come unto Jesus. Come unto his church. We will put in, in the description of this video a link. I want you to click on it. Reach out to the missionaries. Let them know you're ready to take upon yourselves the name of Jesus Christ, being baptized by those who actually hold the authority and priesthood of God to perform such baptism. That baptism will be recognized not just on earth, but will be recognized in the heaven with the angels uh, uh, enjoying and being happy over that. You came unto the Lord Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. You can then receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit to be your constant companion through the rest of your life. For those of you not yet members of the church, we invite you to come on back, come back to the full fellowship and membership of the church and kingdom upon the earth so that you can once again be under the wings of the Lord and feeling his great love towards you. We pray that God will bless those of you who need financial help at this time at the way that the windows of heaven will open up and pour you out such a great blessing that you will have the financial resources to accomplish what God would have you do at this time in your lives. We pray for those of you who are sick and otherwise afflicted, that you shall be healed according to your faith and to the will of the Lord. For the for those of you who are have emotional issues, emotional illnesses at this time. We bless you as you come unto Jesus Christ. He will bless you with that peace that you seek. He will bless you with that joy that you desire. And he will help you make your mind clear and refocus on the things that matter and, and, and most mainly focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We pray for you every day. And we testify of these things once again. These things are true. They are glorious. They are the word of God. And of God we testify that he lives today. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.